Well, hi, and welcome to another episode of She Speaks Stories. This is Portia. And this is Katie. And we are continuing with our beautiful theme this season, Meet the Team, and sharing stories of women that serve on our She Speaks Stories podcasting. And today, Portia, I am so excited for this team member, Stacy Marshall, because I have kind of a unique relationship with her. And um, I'm just going to tell you and our listeners, Stacy is this beautiful young woman who went to our church and I signed up for this golf tournament one time to raise money and you had to have a foursome. So um, three of my friends who all were different levels of golfing, <laughs> we signed up, but we needed a fourth and we needed someone that actually knew how to golf. So somehow we got connected with Stacy Marshall, who actually knew how to golf. And us four set up on this day long, 18 hole golf adventure. And Stacy and I cracked up the whole day and bonded, <laughs> connected. She told me that she had worked with my son at a, a Riverside Dinner Theater. And so she knew him and loved him and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, we connected that day. And forevermore, I'm like, I love Stacy Marshall. And listeners, you guys are going to love her too when you hear her whole yes. story. I love that so much. I didn't know about the golf thing. And Stacy, that's amazing because I am not a golfer. I mean, I've played, but whoo. But you know, you hit that one shot and you think, if I did this more, I could be really good. And it sucks you in. <laughs> I ended up pretty much just cutting and chipping and letting other people drive because no matter how hard I try with the drives, they go about a foot, you know. Anyway, enough of that. Meet Stacy. Hello, honey. Hi. Yeah, no, I think Kim Pierpoint actually carried us through that day. So I'm going to give credit to Kim on that one. She was better than I thought she would be. <laughs> Not a slam on you, Kim, if you're listening. <laughs> we think you're great, Kim. <laughs> oh, man. And Barbie, very athletic, but yeah. Oh, holy cow. It was a fun day. I'm so glad to do I, that. I do think we came in last, but I think we might have got the prize for having the most fun. We did. I think we did. I don't remember. We got like golf, more golf balls, I think. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> listeners let me read um stacy's bio to you and then we're just jumping right in with her story if you ever watched a show like gray's anatomy you begin to think you know a lot about the medical field after watching doctors and nurses on tv even though it's fictional we sometimes allow what we learn in quotation marks to give us expertise in real life Unfortunately, Stacy's life was not a medical drama series, and her Seattle memorial education was not going to fix her life in an hour. She had no idea she was about to receive life-changing news from her doctor, who unfortunately was no match for McDreamy. <laughs> Listen in while you hear Stacy tell her story of when she felt close to God in the most uncertain time of her life. Wow. I am hearing your bio, Stacy. just makes me go, okay, tell me more. Like this would be the part, like when we all grew up and watched TV, not like today, when it would cut to commercial, like there would be Ugh. like that preview of your story. And then there would be a commercial break. And then you're like, wait, what? Yeah. But <laughs> listeners stay tuned. So let's get started, um, Stacey, with what we often ask our guests, which is about the early days. Please tell us about your younger years and um, how moving impacted your life. Yeah, I um, as a Navy brat, 
but I never had the privilege of living in a very posh Navy environment because my dad was always attached to Marines. So I was born in Pendleton. I did like the Marine tour uh, minus Lejeune. Never got to go to Lejeune, but I was born in Pendleton. We did go um, to a Navy base in the Philippines in Subic Bay. Then we did Quantico. Then we did Okinawa. Then my dad did a year of school in San Antonio, Texas, which was the best year ever. And then we came back, my dad ended back up at Bethesda. So we came back to Stafford and that was the first time in ninth grade that I kind of was from somewhere. Cause everywhere, you know, somebody asks you a question, you're a military brat, where are you from? You're like, mm-hmm. that's a funny question yeah. um, <laughs> because <laughs> I was born here, but I lived mostly here but my mom's Japanese, but my dad's family's from California and I was born in California, but I only lived there for two years, but I kind of lived in Okinawa. That's where my mom's from, but I went to high school in Virginia. So I might be from Virginia, but then I moved to Arizona for college and I lived there for the prominent years of my adult life. So maybe I'm from Arizona, (laughs) but I don't know. So I was like, you know what? You can pick and choose. We're just going to my daughter, Molly. She worked at a hotel once and on their name tag, they had to put where they were from. Oh, and of course, she had the same story. So she put yeah. Monterey, California. She was born in Monterey. Right. She lived there when she was zero to right. one. So right. she knows nothing about Monterey, California. But that's where she said she was from. Well, then guests, yeah. the idea is guests are supposed to engage the hotel people in conversation and everything. So people from Monterey would be like, hey, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So beware, Stacey. If you oh, know where you're from, make sure you know something, oh, no, something about it. <laughs> I've, I've been there. So I think, you know, moving back to Virginia and having been here now since 2007, now I claim Virginia, obviously. Right. But when I say, oh, yeah, my family's from Southern California. And then people who are from L.A. are like, oh, what part of L.A.? And then I say, like, where my dad was born or where he was raised. And they're like, oh, you ever done this? And I'm like, uh, not. No. So much. <laughs> <laughs> no. How, how do you think that affected you? Like your personality, your your giftedness, your, just your mental state, even how did all that moving impact you? Uh, I think it's, it's, it made me like desire connection. So I'm the middle child, which set me up for failure from the jump. Um, but I'm the only girl. So I had the benefit of being the only girl. Um, but my, I said earlier, my mom's Japanese. And so Japanese culture is different Mm -hmm. than American culture. And, um, so anyway, moving around, we didn't have family like really close. And even when we were in Okinawa, my mom's family's in Okinawa, but the language barrier was very difficult and it was, you know, we were young, so it's not like we could just go hang out with our cousins and, um, stuff like that, but it was just my brothers and me. And so we were kind of, you know, we were, we did everything together and we did but we did a lot of things as a family like we took a lot of trips and I'm sure Katie you know that you know like when we're in Okinawa we got to go to Hong Kong we all jumped on a space a flight and went to Hong Kong and we got to do these really cool things but as a child I didn't really appreciate we go to Hong Kong and all I want to do is eat McDonald's like it's so dumb when I think about now you're like my life right I wasted so many opportunities but I got that and so now you know my husband has was born in northern Virginia and has lived here his entire life never lived anywhere else and until we were married right before we were married, he had to go to California for work. That was the first time he had ever been West of the Mississippi. And you're like, wow. Oh my God, yeah. I can't imagine yeah. that life. Yeah. But then at the same time, he's from somewhere. Like he knows right. where he's from. He knows what his roots are. He knows how he became this person. I'm like, man, I, but what I love about my life is I, I could take a little bit from everywhere yeah. and kind of bring it all together. So like different cultures, different, everything. So that, you know, living in this day and age where there's so much tension about so many things and so many differences, I have like this crazy perspective that I'm like, I didn't have that experience because military community is so diverse anyway. I'm like, how are people not getting along? This is dumb. 
Like right. find something, find something you have in common. Yes. And that's it. Go from there. You're going to be different about most things, but that common thing, why, why does that not work for people? I don't get it. So it, it kind of drives me bananas, but I love the way you put it so succinctly. <laughs> that is <Yeah>. dumb. <laughs> well, and, and what you just said is like a gold mine of information of find what you have in common and then go from there. Because what you have in common is almost like the cog of whatever that friendship or relationship is going to be. And sure, you're going to branch off and go to different places, but you still have this common thing. Like I have like all of my, my best friends from each duty station. And mostly what we had in common is that our dads were stationed there. And so we connected yep. and we're still yep. friends today yes. because we had this season when we lived in this place for this yes. amount of time. And we're like, do you remember this? Do you remember that? And I think there's so much that can be accomplished when we look for those commonalities, right? Everybody doesn't need to be the same, but there's going to be something that you have in common. And then you get to enjoy the differences. Yes. Yeah. I heard a simple statement the other day. Unity is not uniformity mm-hmm. that right. we can be unified without being uniform. And um, yeah. anyway, anyway, let's yeah. get on with <laughs> it was the story. Good. Yeah. You um, met a lot of people in your life that yeah. impacted you as far as becoming a believer. And, and I love the way that you said it, it, moving around a lot really gave you a hunger for connectedness. Yeah. So um, just talk about how you started connecting with Jesus. Sure. Um, so in high school, I was in Stafford. And so I'm going to North Stafford High School, uh, go Wolverines. And, um, you know, I, I played sports and I did lots of different things. And I, you know, kind of love just having different groups of friends. And so in sports though, I played field hockey and soccer. And so it was kind of the same group of girls that did field hockey and soccer. Um, but I also had a desperate desire to be super cool and super popular and super fun, but also really smart. Like I had to get good grades and have perfect attendance, but also be as cool as I possibly could. Um, and so no pressure. (laughs) My, uh, my junior year of high school, I Actually, a friend of mine, Andrea Volts, um, had invited me to start going to Mount Ararat because she would go to church. And I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds super awesome. Because as a military child, we would go to base chapel on Sundays, but there was never a lesson to teach you the gospel. It was legit where they would like bring the kids up and you would sit around the pastor, you know, kind of on the steps and they would tell you a story from the Bible that was very, you know, kid friendly. And so I knew all the Bible stories primarily, you know, just very surface level. Um, but we never delved any deeper than that. It was just, you go to church. And then because I, I, for whatever reason, we got donuts afterwards and my <sighs> parents were health freaks. And so we never got to eat junk food, colored cereal, soda, none of that stuff. And so when I got that donut, I was like, man, this is awesome. So that was my idea of church, right? Like I knew who God was. I knew the doxology. I knew the Lord's prayer. I knew all of that stuff because you learn that, mm-hmm. but I didn't know Jesus. Um, and my friend Andrea was a phenomenal athlete, just a good person. She's like, Hey, I go to Mount Ararat. And of course, everybody in Stafford knows Mount Ararat. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to church. Um, so I would like go every once in a while. And, you know, obviously if there's a boy, then you're going to go somewhere <laughs> too. So it's like, maybe there's a boy. I don't know. So I go and I would go every once in a while. I'm like, oh, this is cool. But she always invited me. And then there was an Easter service where um, the Howards, can you remember the Howards? They, um, they, they did like a play where it was almost, I can't even describe it. And I remember bits and pieces, but Mr. Howard was playing Jesus and he had the cross on his back and he kind of walked and he did the walk kind of, you know, where he was carrying the cross and it like hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's what this is. I cannot believe this. This is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I just, I felt the Holy spirit and it was just, it was crazy, but I was by myself. Like I I went there by myself and funny story. 
uh, I actually got hit by a deer on my way there on 610. So I almost didn't even go, which is crazy wow. because a deer ran into the side of my car. And of course, I'm like, my dad's never going to believe that a deer hit me. But luckily <laughs> there was like deer hair in the door handle on the side of my car. So it's like, clearly that deer ran into the side. Um, anyway, so I wasn't even going to go because I was kind of freaked out, but there was nothing like my car wasn't damaged. It was like a little dent, but nothing big. So I went anyway and I was by myself. And then that was, so like I said, that was kind of the first time that like the gospel really like Jesus dying on the cross was visual and like it, it meant something. I was like, holy cow. So then of course there was, this is when pastor D was the pastor. Um, I was like, yeah, I, I get it now. I, I need this Jesus and it's going to be awesome. And so we like fill out a little card that it's like, Hey, you know, to connect further or whatever. So it's like, all right, awesome. This is so cool. And I felt really great. Then the next day I go to, I can't remember if I went to school or what happened. Cause it was a weekday that that happened. It was at nighttime. I go to school and I get back in my high school environment. And I was like, Oh, I don't think Jesus is very cool. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. So then I get a phone call a day later, a couple of days later from somebody at the church. It was like, Hey, we saw that you, you know, accepted Christ and you know, you want connection and all of that. We're here. You know, I want to invite you. And I was like, I'm busy. I got to go. Sorry. I have stuff to do. I'm very important. I'm, I have jobs. I have friends. I have sports. I have all the things and I really don't have time. And there was probably some truth to that because, you know, I was playing multiple sports. I had a job, you know, and I had friends and all of that. So it's not that I was lying about having things, but it just, it didn't, I, I don't know why I wasn't ready in that moment Mm -hmm. to really go further, but I don't know if I was embarrassed or didn't know what to say, or one of those people that just didn't know enough to know what to do at that point. So that kind of happened. So, but I knew Jesus, I kept going to church, but I wasn't doing anything to kind of cultivate a relationship. Um, So I just kind of finished out high school and then I graduated and I went to Arizona. I went to university of Arizona wildcats. Um, and <laughs> that's, uh, that's just, I, I started, that was the first time I'd been away. I went to Arizona to get as far away from my family as I could, because I needed to be my own person. I needed to do my own thing and like life choices. I can't even begin to tell you like bad life choices that I was making. And it was, it was bad. Like just, I mean, I graduated from college in four years. I did ROTC for three of those years because I thought I wanted to be in the military. Um, But I didn't set myself up for success and not having anybody holding me accountable or whatever. I never even talked to my parents that much. I would come home for Christmas break, summertime, stuff like that. But I really just avoided my family, like talking to them on a regular basis because I'm like, I don't need you guys to, I don't want anybody to get any inkling that I'm not doing good things. Like I'm just, I don't want that. So if I don't talk to you, then you won't know. And that will be good. And then I don't have to explain myself. You don't have to ask questions and it'll be perfect. And that's much better because I'm grown and I can do my own thing and I don't need you Mm -hmm. except I need the gas card and I need you to keep (laughs) paying my insurance and I need rent money and all of that. <laughs> right. But so. I don't need your influence because <laughs> I will do what I want to do. Right. Isn't, isn't that kind of the essence of pride and the way the enemy gets in and takes us down a very bad path? Because yeah. um, the enemy kind of feeds that attitude mm-hmm. and then our flesh likes that attitude because it feels good in the moment it feels good i will drink what i want to drink and i will drink as much as i want to drink i will hang out with who i want to hang out with and i will do whatever i want to do with those people Mm -hmm. that's right and the flash is like yeah you are having a good time you are having fun and this is what life's about Mm -hmm. but the spirit is there in the background Right. Yeah. There's clearly, this is not healthy and I knew it. Right. Um, then I got into a relationship with a guy, my 21st birthday, I started dating a guy 
And it was bad news from the jump, but Mm -hmm. I was like, this is fun and exciting. And he's cool because he's athletic and whatever. And he also makes bad life choices. So we can make bad life choices together. Um, This is good. And then we move in together because I, my roommate ended up moving in with her now husband. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? You know, what's financially easy and what's super convenient is just living with a guy because Mm -hmm. that's the best thing ever, blah, blah, blah. So we start living together. And my mom was not a fan of that. Mm -hmm. But of course I'm like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm a grown up. And, um, so we're in this relationship. We're living together. It was a terrible relationship. It was a very abusive relationship. And, but I was stuck, right? Like I'm stuck in this situation that I'm not making Arizona. The the job market is not very good. Um, but so I'm not making a lot of money. And I even tried to cut, like one time I went to stay with a friend. Cause I was like, like Oh, I'm going to leave. We're going to break up and just couldn't do it because it's always like that stereotypical, like, Oh, I'm sorry. And mm-hmm. you know, girls are, we just do dumb things and we go back, but that's a, you know, we could have a week's worth of podcasts on that situation. Sure. <laughs> yes. um, so, so I go back and I have a relationship. So then um, saw a commercial on TV for Tucson community church, but they dubbed it the cool church TCC. And um, it was one of those just like very non-invasive sort of hands-off type, type of thing. So I would get up on Sunday mornings by myself because my boyfriend would still be in bed and I would drive over to this church and I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, I just want to go in, do my thing and try to learn more and just go back and continue living my life the way I wanted to live my life, mm-hmm. but still wanting to learn more about Jesus. Um, around the same time, my brothers, both my brothers and my mom started going to Mount Ararat. I couldn't tell you how they started going there, but they did. And they all got saved wow. and I could see changes in them, which I never would have imagined. I always, I always felt like my mom was like overly judgmental and very strict because her Japanese upbringing, but I could sense like a little bit of a difference. And then my older brother, good Lord, um, (laughs) just the changes in, you know, he's still the same person, Mm -hmm. but just the changes in what he cared about and all of that. I was like, Oh wow, that's amazing. Well, then my brother got married. My older brother got married. And so, um, I came out here for Ben and Becca's wedding and, go to their wedding at Becca's family's house. And there was no alcohol at their wedding. And I said, what the heck kind of wedding is this? (laughs) Who does that? Um, The name went up. Yeah. Who has a party like that? Let me tell y'all, that was the most fun wedding I, to date that I could remember being at. And I'm looking around at these people like, y'all are having fun and loving it. And you're even seeing like, you know, you were dancing and, you know, there's secular music and it's fine, but even cause Becca, you know, plays music and is, does all this stuff and all her bandmates and they're like singing Jesus songs and they're dancing and having fun. And I'm like, what is happening to you people? This is crazy. So crazy. Um, so then, you know, I'm going to church in Tucson, but I'm not doing a whole lot. Well, then Ben and Becca have their first child and Noah is born in 2007 and in January of 2007. And I was like, man, I would love to know this kid. So I fly out in that summer around June timeframe to meet him. And of course, fall in love with this baby. And I see my brother and sister-in-law and I see my family and I'm like, I don't want to be that, you know, being a military child, I didn't have family around me. I didn't know my family. My aunt and I, my dad's sister and I are very close now, but we didn't have, cause we didn't have technology like right. we did, you know, we do now either. So it's harder to keep in touch and blah, blah, blah. So I meet Noah and I'm like, I don't want to be that distant aunt that he doesn't know. I don't want to be any of that. So, you know, all these things happened, um, which now I of course give credit to God that he set that all up for me that I now had a reason to come back to Virginia and get out of the relationship that I was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause if I had to do it myself, I didn't have the strength, right? I did not Amen. have the strength to do it on my own. I needed something and God knew that he knew I needed something big to get me out of that pit that I was in mm-hmm. um, and, and get me here. And what better reason than a baby? Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so coming back here, I got connected back at Mount Ararat 
because, uh, you know, Ben and Becca were very involved in the church and just doing that um, just made new friends and connected with people and in the church just on such a deeper level. I still have many, many of my old friends. I'm still bestest friends with my best friends from high school. Mm -hmm. Like it's still great, but this, you know, the church thing really, it really, it changed and it was obviously for the better. Um, Isn't that where you met your husband or how did you met your husband? Well, Brian and I actually went to high school together. We were at North Stafford. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. We were at North Stafford together and um, he swears to this day that he remembers me from high school, but I still tell him that he's lying. But <laughs> he, uh, we used to actually, we were on the freshman basketball team. He was on the boys team. I was on the girls team. And so freshman basketball traveled together. Mm-hmm. And so we would go to away games. And I remember my friend, Jamie and I used to, we were so obnoxious and we would just sit on the bus and like sing loudly, um, like Tom Petty, like just really annoying songs like as loud as we possibly could but I always remember like the cool kids sat in the back you know and and the good looking guy who sat in the back and I always remembered him and he had a cousin um who ended up dating a friend of mine on the basketball team as well and so I just I always remembered him and because we had had a conversation one time and that we had the same birthday um so we knew each other in ninth grade. And then after ninth grade, I never really saw him again. So I just kind of, I didn't think about it, never thought about it ever again. So fast forward, um, I'm at church. We're doing a, a art and worship thing. And so I was helping and I met Max Moore and Max is talking to me about just, what are you doing here? And blah, blah, blah. What do you want to do with your life? And then he mentions about a job opportunity and so I go and interview with Lockheed Martin and I get this job as a contractor supporting the Marine Corps with Lockheed Martin, uh, make new friends there and then become one of my still very dear friends, uh, Ryan. He would always talk about like cars and things that he did with cars and he'd put on car shows and he'd always talk about his friend BJ that they did all this stuff together and it never occurred to me. Um, and then one day, and I was even having correspondence because as it turns out, Brian worked um, in the same command. And so I was like sending emails about something and I got responses from this guy, Brian Marshall, never occurred to me. Um, and then one day our admin posted birthdays in the lunchroom and I was looking, I was like, Oh, look at yeah, my birthday. Who is this Brian Marshall guy that has the same birthday as me? And then in my head, I was like, I went to high school with a kid named BJ Marshall that had the same birthday as me. And I was like, wait a second, Ryan talks about this guy, <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, is this the same person? So I ran down to Ryan's office and I said, Hey, your friend BJ that you talk about that you do cars with, is he from Stafford? And is that the same Brian Marshall that works on for our same PM? He's like, Yeah. So he calls him on speakerphone and he's like, Hey BJ, blah, blah, blah. So we start chatting. And as it turns out, uh, he was going through a divorce. He had three kids. And I was like, holy cow, didn't expect that, but okay. <laughs> And so that was kind of that. And then I ran into him one time randomly in a hallway and I was like, whatever. And then September of that year, Lockheed Martin ended up losing the contract. And so a bunch of us had gotten together, have this like, woe is me happy hour at Chili's. And so he shows up and I'm there and I'm actually sort of dating, talking to somebody else at the time who turned out used to work for Brian. Um, so we hang out at Chili's with a bunch of friends and we just kind of talk and reconnect and everybody's having a good time. And it's the beginning of September. So we're talking about what you're doing for birthdays. Oh my gosh. And that was it. We exchanged phone numbers and you're like, Oh, that was all well and good. They're like, okay, fine. Didn't talk to him again. A month later in October, I get a phone call on a Saturday morning and he's like, Hey, this is Brian. I'm like, what's up? Hey, I'm going to grab lunch at Panera you want, you want to grab lunch with me? And I was like, okay. He's like, I'm on my way there now. I was in bed, but he was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm ready. I'll be there in like 10 minutes. <laughs> so I was like, cause it's like 11 o'clock on a Saturday. Who's in bed. So I had to like, yeah, I didn't have anything to do. Uh, so I jump up, you know, I get dressed as fast as possible. And I go meet him at Panera three hours later um, at Panera. We just, I was like, man, this is so crazy. And we just kind of connected. And so that, that was kind of the beginning of how that all happened. You marry and instantly have three 
daughters that you yeah. became mother to. I, I remember that. And I remember yeah. praying for you. Um, yeah. I think we were doing student ministry together. And I knew, of course, I knew Ben and Becca and Gay yeah. and Mac. And I was all involved with kind of the same people you were involved with. Um, and I do remember praying for you. But then you truly had the, a turning point. And I mean, not that marriage and motherhood <laughs> was yeah. not a turning point. But um, talk now about what that doctor said to you. Yeah. How that whole thing unfolded. I know. I um, So he already had three kids, but of course we had agreed or we had discussed how we were going to have more kids and um, cause I needed my own kids and he was really gung ho about having a boy. Um, and so we get, I got pregnant. We had taken a trip to Arizona, to Tucson. I had to go for work. So I got to go back to Tucson. I took him with me on the airplane ride back. I started to get like this really weird ear ache. And I was like, that's really weird. Why is my ear hurting? So he's like, oh, maybe it's like an ear infection. So I go to the doctor and they're like, oh, you have an ear infection, but there's no infection. I'm like, okay, why does it hurt? We don't know. Here, take some antibiotics. Awesome. A week goes by, nothing gets better. Go to another doctor. They're like, we don't see an infection, but we'll give you stronger antibiotics. That might make it better. I'm like, okay, no, that didn't work. And then all of a sudden it went away. Then um, my face kind of went, or no, first my eye went blurry. My right eye went blurry. I'm like, that's weird. Go to the neurologist. And he says, oh, wear an eye patch on your good eye. And that'll make your bad eye have to work harder and get better. Yeah, I'm vain. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not super vain, but I'm not walking around with an eye patch. Like that's not happening. <laughs> like a pirate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. On the on the good eye? No, thank you. Um, but then all of a sudden it just went away. And then my face went numb. And I was like, that's weird. My face went numb. Um, and I actually had a dentist appointment. And the dentist was like, that's weird. Why is your face numb? I don't know. I said, I do have a follow-up with my neurologist because I had always gotten headaches and I thought they were migraines. And so I was on migraine medication um, for a couple of years. But then, you know, when I got pregnant, I was like, I can't take this migraine meds anymore. So the dentist told me to go back to the neurologist. And I was like, oh, I'm going anyway. So go to the neurologist. Well, then I started getting headaches really bad too, to the point where uh, one night I, I almost went to the ER. It was so bad. And I remember crying and wanting, wishing I had an ice pick that I could, you know, stab into my head because mm -hmm. to relieve the pressure, it was just mm -hmm. so bad. Um, like this is all very weird. Well, my neurologist bless his heart, uh, attributed everything to preeclampsia. And I said, that's funny. Cause I'm in my first trimester and preeclampsia is not a first trimester thing. He's like, well, that's the only thing that makes sense. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. Good job. So eventually when I got in my second trimester, I was about 22 weeks. He finally said, you know, we'll go ahead and do an MRI. Cause they didn't want to, they don't like to do MRIs on pregnant women. Oh, so he said, okay. yeah. Um, but it was, my headaches were bad. Like they were really bad. And I, like, I can take all the Excedrin in the world, but it wasn't helping. So they finally do an MRI and Brian had never gone with me to a doctor's appointment, a neurology appointment. He had never gone. But this day after I did my MRI, he's like, I'll go with you. I, I have time. And I was like, you're good. You don't have to do that. No, I I'm, I'm going to come. Um, so we were sitting in the doctor's office and I was just making jokes. So my best friend, Molly had told me you're fine because if if there was something wrong when you got your MRI, they would have called you and told you to come in right away. And mm -hmm. I said, oh, okay. So I, I'm saying this to Brian. And as I say that the doctor walks in and he overheard, he goes, oh, my girls didn't tell you to come in right away. I said, no. Oh, and he pulls up the computer screen and it's the scan of my brain, my head. And there's this like tennis ball size lump in the front of my head. I'm like, well, that's not good. He's like, no, it's not good. Well, he starts freaking out. The neurologist starts kind of freaking out. And he says to me, we got to get that baby out of there. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> I'm 22 weeks pregnant. You are not taking this baby out. But he didn't know what to do. But he didn't know what it was. Um, so he's like Googling things. And I'm like, what's happening? And Brian's like, he's Googling. What's going on? <laughs> Um, my husband, I call him Google MD because he diagnoses everything, uh, with <laughs> us, with the kids, everything. And 
the the hard part about it is he's right so often Mm. that it's hard for me to argue. I know it's the worst. Um, (laughs) So anyway, so the, the, the good thing about this neurology appointment, you know, doctor says, Hey, but the beauty of where we live is you've got Johns Hopkins and you've got UVA within driving distance. So whatever it is, you know, you can get it worked out. So we leave there and I'm like, man, God hooked me up because Brian's with me. Can you imagine if I was by myself and I got this information? Like, I don't even know what I would do. So we drive to my parents to tell my parents, which I thought my mom was going to lose her mind, but having, you know, the Holy spirit in her, she was actually so calm and just different than I thought she was going to be. My dad, on the other hand, kind of lost his mind a little bit. And he's like, I don't care what it costs. I'll fly you to San Francisco. I'll fly you wherever the best doctor is. We're going to do this. I'm like, we don't even know what's going on yet, but whatever. And I remember that day I cried one time because I was kind of freaked out. Like I didn't know what was going on. But at the same time, I was like, thank God, I now know what's going on with me because I had all these really weird symptoms and I play soccer. And so whenever I would do a header in soccer, my vision would get all, I'd get double vision and blurry, but I thought that was just what people did. Right. So, um, yeah. So I cried that one time because I was like, man, what am I going to do? I don't have time for this. Um, and Brian was with me and I cried and then that was it. And I didn't cry again. Like that was, that was the one time. I cried. Um, and then luckily, so then I start going, I go back to my OB cause I have, you know, checkups and like, Hey, I know I'm pregnant, but now I got this thing. And so then I get referred to a maternal fetal OB turns out that guy happened to know somebody at Johns Hopkins. And so he made a call to Johns Hopkins and got me an appointment like the next week. Oh, and nice. so I go up to Hopkins and it was amazing. Um, so, but then that starts like the whole process of CAT scans and MRIs with contrast, without contrast, what do we do? You have a baby, how is this gonna happen? Um, So at first they thought maybe it was a cyst and -hmm. there was discussion about being able to remove it by going up through my nose. And it's like, we can take it out that way. And I'm like, that sounds horrifying, but worse things could happen. After multiple MRIs and scans, they were like, we don't think it's a cyst. Based on the characteristics, we don't think it's a cyst. And unfortunately, we're going to have to go with the fact that it's a tumor and it is the size of a tennis ball and it's really big, but that explains a lot. And unfortunately we can't biopsy it because in order to biopsy it, we have to cut into your head. And if we're going to do that, we're just going to take it out. Like we're not going to, we're not going to mess with it, but it's okay. Cause it looks like it's non-cancerous. So you're fine. I'm like, all right. So I start going to Hopkins regularly. I'm getting scans every week, but now they have to figure out how are you going to have a baby? Yeah with this thing, what are we gonna do? So they actually put together a board at Hopkins with my neuro-oncologist, neurology, maternal fetal, OB, radiology, anesthesiology, all these people to try to figure out, and it was apparently published. I don't know, I haven't seen it. Yeah, how are we going to allow you to have this? Like, do you have the baby first? Do we take the tumor out first? Like, what do we do? and so it was, it was tea, like it was, it was a lot of driving yeah. back and forth. Yeah. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I am not mad about it because I could drive to this amazing first class, world class. Right. right. It's an amazing Division. perspective. Division. In the same day. Like yeah. it wasn't even like I had to stay overnight. Like right. we could drive in the morning. I mean, traffic in downtown Baltimore is no picnic, but okay. we could drive to Hopkins. Doable. It was doable. Yeah. Yeah, we could drive to Hopkins in the morning, drive home in the afternoon. And Brian and my mom were there every step of every appointment for everything. Um, but then they're trying to figure out what are we going to do? Because what do you, what do you do? They're like, okay, you need to have the baby first. Like, let's have the baby and then we'll do surgery and take it out. Great. So how are we going to do that? Um, so then they ended up making the decision that they were going to do a four sips assisted assisted birth because a doctor assisted birth because they didn't want to do a c-section because you could lose too much blood in a c-section and that'll mess with your brain um and you don't want to have a natural birth because pushing Mm. how hard you push could mess with the intracranial pressure in your brain as well so we don't want you to push but we don't want you to bleed so what are we going to do we're going to induce you and we're going to control your labor and we're going to help pull the baby out so you don't have to push and so you don't bleed awesome So we go up in July on a Monday morning, or we go up on Monday 
and we ate Cheesecake Factory because that was the last meal I was going to have for a while. So we go in Monday, I get induced, they give me an epidural and I lay in this bed. Nothing happens. And I'm laying in this bed, but can't do anything. I can't eat. I can't drink. They give me ice chips. Um, I think I might've gotten to eat a little bit of jello at one point laying there Monday and, you know, Brian and Brian and my mom weren't prepared for how long we were going to be there. Uh, so at one point, luckily my dad ended up coming up and bringing them clean clothes and all of that. But so finally Thursday night, so I got there Monday, Thursday, my water finally breaks, but then I never dilate. Yeah. But then I never dilate past seven centimeters. And so they're like, we have no choice. We have to do a C-section, but I'm upset because I'm like, you said a C-section was bad and Brian's asleep. So we wake him up. So Friday morning, we go in for the C-section and I'm sick because I haven't eaten or drank anything. And they make you drink this like really nasty drink right before you go in for a C-section for whatever reason, but all it did was make me nauseous. So my, my poor husband who is anti-vomit, like he can't deal with vomit at all with the kids, with anything. He, during the birth of my son, he's holding this bedpan next to me because I'm just dry heaving and throwing up whatever is in my body um, while they're cutting this baby out of my belly. But I'm like freaking out and all this kind of stuff. Well, as it turns out, it was perfect because I had been on an epidural and dehydrated for four days. When they did the C-section, I actually ended up losing little to no blood whatsoever. Like it was set up that way. So that could happen. I didn't have to push. I didn't feel any contractions. I didn't have any pressure on my head. They just oh. took him out. And I barely even bled because I was so dehydrated because it took four and a half days for this whole oh process. My <laughs> Listeners, if you could see my face, I'm like, what? <laughs> this is yeah. a Grey's Anatomy story. This would be yeah. this would be the episode of like, what are we gonna do with this patient? Yeah. <laughs> How do we make sure that the patient is is well yeah. and the baby? What? Yeah, right? So that's oh. like so when you Jeez. if you say how do you know God? Well, let me tell you how I know God is real. And let me tell you how I know God sets everything up. And I'm like miserable. I'm laying in this hospital bed, like miserably uncomfortable. Um, luckily for Brian and my mom, Hopkins has really good food. Um, <laughs> they have amazing cafeteria. They have a soft serve ice cream machine. They have sushi. Like it's so good, um, but it's still not comfortable. Uh, so anyway, that was God. And my baby came out perfectly healthy and he's amazing. And he's nine years old now and mm. it's great. Um, and, and God hooked me up. So and, and I am part of what I want to pull out of this story, Stacy, I'm guessing those four days, many of us, if we'd been in your situation, we would be like, God, where are you? why is this happening and kind of ticked with God like why are you letting this happen and this is horrible I hate this yeah. blah 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 but the idea that if we can relax and trust God even mm -hmm. when the circumstances around us are horrible we're sick we don't get it it's miserable we're like I thought you loved me God right. why 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 that's kind of our human nature, but to hear a story like yours and listeners, this is why we always say stories change lives Yeah, to hear a story like yours. Okay. Yes, it was bad, but God had a plan, mm -hmm. a bigger plan that you and Brian couldn't foresee. Why would God you? Could. God could. The doctors didn't even know. And they're medical professionals at Johns Hopkins University. Exactly. Like, right. Exactly. And we want yeah, to put our know. expectations on human intelligence and human, you know, and we think doctors should be God and right. should have all the answers immediately. And we get ticked when they don't. And yeah. we're like, what do you mean? You're a doctor. You can't be Googling this. You're a doctor. You don't know. But they're human. They're not God. Yeah. They mm -hmm. don't know it all. Yeah. Of course, they use their intelligence and their training yeah. and everything. But at the end of the day, God is sovereign. He is the healer. 
He is with us. He is for us. He does give wisdom through doctors. Anyway. Um, yeah, oh, I know. We but could live with you forever. But what happened with the tumor? I, I know. Okay. We got to wrap our story so, up. I know. I'm so sorry. And so oh, we, I'm, I'm still seeing my neuro-oncologist who was phenomenal, Dr. Olivi. He's this really tall Italian, super thick accent, but so funny. He actually worked with Dr. Ben Carson oh. um, in neuro. Yeah. They, cause Ben Carson was at neurology and um, at Hopkins. And so they hmm. were colleagues. So I'm like, um, yeah, I think I'm in the right place. But we actually became very close with Dr. Levy's nurse, D. She was amazing. Like she was kind of our go-to person whenever we had appointments or whatever. Brian and her are still Facebook friends. Like it was, uh, her daughter's name is Reagan. My daughter's name is Reagan. Like we just, we connected. And so Dr. Levy said, okay, baby's out. Let's do the surgery. And she said, no, 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 no. You need to give her time. Like she needs time to bond with her baby and, you know, because you never know, right? Like you just never know. And she needs that time and it's been there for this long. What's another couple of months. So Dr. Levy agreed that we would do the surgery in September. Um, But at this point, we still don't know what's going on. So again, go back on a, on a Monday, but Sunday I got prepped. We had to go there Sunday previous the day before and get all this stuff done and it was weird. So we're walking around the Harbor and I've got like dots all over my face where they're going to do all this stuff. But I, you know, I didn't care. And I've got my two month old baby and what are we going to do? And so, but we, we had it worked out where, um, so my best friend, Molly was at home with Brian's older girls and she stayed with them for the week while this was happening. And then Becca's sister, Jenny, we got a hotel room kind of right by the hospital. And Jenny was there to watch Jackson and to help with Jackson and watch Noah and Chloe, um, because Ben and Becca, my parents and Brian were going to come up to the hospital that day. So we had this all planned out. It was really fabulous. And, you know, such a great support group of people. That Sunday morning, the day before the surgery, I got a phone call and it was Pastor Todd. I'm like, why are you calling me? It's a Sunday morning. And as it turned out, he was in the middle of church service, but he knew I was going into this surgery the next day. And he prayed over me during church for this whole thing. And my mind was blown. I'm like, you have me on speakerphone in the FLC right now. Like, this is really weird. (laughs) Why are you doing this? Well, because that's what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, So he prayed over me and that was, that was so, it it was weird. Cause I was like, I am not that big of a deal. Like, why are you doing this? Well, we know. Um, So I go into surgery. uh, Family. Yes. I remember that. That's the truth. Yeah. Your story was a big one, Stacey. Oh my goodness. Yeah young mother with a brand new baby and this huge tumor in her head and yeah uh, take it out will she live will she survive will what will happen what will happen it i remember it very much arresting all of us and all of us on our knees prayers Mm. are powerful and the privilege of taking a sister a daughter (laughs) burden and it, fear to Jesus mm-hmm. together. It, it's powerful. It's yeah. powerful. So, and that's key that you said that because I can tell you with all honesty, other than the annoyance of constantly going to the doctor, I was never, I was never scared. I, I never thought to myself what could happen to this. And I attributed it to naivete where I'm like, I'm invincible nothing is going to happen to me. I am the picture of health other than these headaches. Nothing is wrong with me. I'm perfectly fine. Like it's no big deal. So I go into the surgery and Brian's sitting there with me as they're getting ready to pull me away. And he was fabulous. He never once seemed upset, scared, nothing. He just went with the flow. And that's just the kind of guy he is. Like he doesn't get rattled very easily. So I go into surgery and to me, the surgery was like five minutes. (laughs) <laughs> and apparently it was six and a half hours. And Brian said at one point, halfway through Dr. Levy comes out into the waiting room and is like, Hey, you know, talking to him about how everything's going. And he's like, yeah, we did the biopsy. Oh yeah. We figured out it's chondrosarcoma. And Brian's like, Oh, okay. So that's good. Like not cancer. He goes like, Oh no, no, no. Sarcoma means cancer. And Brian's <sighs> like, why are you smiling about this? And he's like, no, I'm happy. Cause we got it all. And he's like, <laughs> Yeah, but you just said cancer. Like, that's not okay. 
And he's like, oh, whatever. But doc, that's just Dr. Levy's way. And so mm-hmm. get out of surgery. And I'm, I'm a mess. Like I, I had to have staples from the middle of my head down to the side of my face because they had to do a partial craniotomy. Um, but, you know, my family was there. And so I'm in the hospital again for another week. Even one day, Todd, Todd Gaston ended up coming in because he was in D.C. anyway with a doctor's appointment for Lexi. So he's like, I just need to stop by. I was so embarrassed because my face and my head, I... Brian called me the Terminator because like all the blood vessels in my eye were completely busted. And so my eyes all red, I have pictures. And it's when I look back at the pictures, I'm like, holy cow, mm-hmm. any vanity that I thought I had, God <laughs> just very graciously took that away from me. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I was in the hospital for about a week, but as it turned out, the tumor was sitting on my cavernous sinus and it was smushing all the nerves that go into your head. And that's what was causing all of the symptoms because when I got pregnant, everything swells, right? And so it would shift in my head. This tumor would shift. And so it would go from one nerve to the next causing all these things. Um, And so when they took the tumor out though, now all these nerve endings have that have been covered from what potentially could have been my entire life. Dr. Levy says the way that the tumor was and the way my brain, my skull formed around it, it might've been there my whole life, just growing my whole life. Yeah. So now these nerve endings don't know what to do. So now I've got like paralysis in my face and I can't feel anything and I can't see out of my eye. And so now I'm doing these appointments. I'm seeing neuro ophthalmology, all of this. I couldn't open my jaw. So for months, I had to drink liquid. Like I couldn't mm. chew. I couldn't open my mouth. I can't feel my lips. It was bad for months. Um, but also, you know, a really, another God thing was that I had just, I was a contractor at Lockheed Martin. I said that, but that March before all this went down, I got a government job. So now I'm a civilian Marine working for the same command. Um, so when this happened now, because I'm a civilian Marine, I don't have a lot of leave built up, but mm. now I can get leave donations. And by the grace of God, between my mother and random people that I don't even know, and some people I do, they donated me enough leave that I was out of work for six months and I never missed a paycheck. I got six months worth of leave donated to me so that not only was I recuperating from this crazy, like physically traumatic thing with my newborn baby, I did not have to worry about money. I didn't have to worry about all of it. Like my mom came and stayed and she's like helping and you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so that was another thing that the timing of it was just perfect. Like it couldn't have been any better. Um, but now I have this paralysis in my face. I look awful. I didn't leave my, I didn't leave my house for months because I looked horrible. I felt horrible. Like there were days that I was like, you know what, I'd rather just go back and just leave the tumor in my head because this, this aftermath is not worth it. Like I'm not loving this at all. Um, but then, you know, I see my baby and I see all this stuff. I'm like, you know, it'll get better. It'll get better. And Dr. Levy would be like, Oh, you think your face is bad? I can show you what full paralysis of the face looks like where their face is drooping. Like your face doesn't move, but at least it's not sagging. And I'm like, okay, okay. You got me. You're right. It could be worse. It could always be worse. Right. Right. Um, But I am a firm believer that of course our circumstances could always be worse, but that doesn't discount what you're going through. Like I don't ever anybody to think just because it could be worse. Like I know people say that out of encouragement. Oh, it could be worse. You're trying to help people. I'm like, yes, I know that, but this situation sucks. So yes, (laughs) it could be worse, but my face is paralyzed but it hurts. And then people don't get it. Like, I don't know how to explain to you that it hurts constantly, but I can't feel anything. Um, so I went through that. I went back to work and kind of everything just kind of went back. I started eventually being able to like take bites and sandwiches. Cause here we are nine and a half years later and it's still paralyzed. And it's so the fifth and the seventh nerve still don't really work where it doesn't move. And I have no sensation in my face. Um, but it's slowly like little bits and pieces are kind of coming back years and years later, it kind of comes back. And, um, but that's kind of, it got me after a while. And that's kind of when I hit a pit and like the worst, 
The worst of it was not at the time, not the unknowing, but just the recuperation part of it. Um, I got pregnant again and had my daughter um, and I just, you know, not feeling really good about anything because I'm in pain and I'm uncomfortable. And my poor husband, he didn't sign up for this. When we got married, I was like a picture of health. Like this isn't fair to him because it's like straight down the middle of my face. So I can't feel half of my tongue. I can't feel half of my lips. Mm -hmm. I can't feel anything. So even something as simple as like a, just a kiss is weird because I can't feel my mouth. And so Mm -hmm. it impacted just kind of everything that I had going on, my emotional state, my physical state. Um, and it kind of, we, we went through a really, a tough season, Brian and I did. And cause I, I don't know what I was looking for. I was looking for something, you know, I'm trying to feel better and I know you love me and I know everything's good, but I don't feel good. And I need external things to make me feel better. And Lord was that wrong thinking, Um, but I, I didn't know, I didn't know how to make it feel better. And so we kind of went through some bad stuff and, you know, making bad life choices again. Um, but like I said, my husband is the most amazing human being on the planet. And, uh, if anybody ever wants to know what it's like to be like Jesus, um, and what it means to have grace, then I need them to know my husband, Mm -hmm. um, because his ability to forgive and show grace is when you think about like, oh, we don't deserve what Jesus did for us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you have that mentality. That's kind of how I feel about him. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve all of this. And I make excuses. I'm like, you don't know what I was going through and you don't know how I feel. Yeah. Okay. Um, but just knowing that it's, it's okay. Like we all mess up and we do dumb stuff and that's okay. Don't do it again. Like let's work on this so that you're not doing things. Um, but it's going to be okay. And now, now I'm in a place where I can look back on all of that and say, all of those things that got now the, the pregnancy birth of my son that I, I saw that from the jump, like sure. that was obvious. Um, but all these other little things. And even I told him, yeah, I'm going to share my story, but, uh, I didn't have like a God moment during the whole thing before, before it happened. Um, I said, I wasn't even worried about it. He goes, and what makes you think that wasn't God giving you <laughs> peace and what makes you think? And my mom said, people were praying for you don't think that the peace that you felt had anything to do with God. And I'm like, dang it. He's right again. surpasses all comprehension. Right. Oh my Give gosh. And my because who it, really listeners, wouldn't you be freaked out if you were pregnant and had a huge brain tumor? Of course, we'd be freaked out, but Jesus really can send peace that is beyond comprehension. So I'm glad in retrospect, you see that. But then what I hear you saying is you went through a darker valley, a scarier Mm -hmm. valley as you're trying to recover um, an inner darkness that that maybe surpassed all the calamity of the brain tumor and the surgeries and it, it, Oh yeah. And, uh, because it was like an inner, inner darkness and scary yeah. and weird and desperate and trying, uh, to find some relief from it in ways that did not bring relief. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all. So what, but like I said, it what helped it, yeah. and and then we'll tie this up with what would you share with our listeners if you just had one thing or, or a couple things uh, to share with our listeners and leave them with that helped? Yeah. Uh, well, unfortunately, what helped was kind of hitting, hitting rock bottom yeah. and having, like I said, an amazing husband who you know, was upset with me and angry with me for terrible life choices, but then 
like Portia, you said it so perfectly at Katie's book release. So you're like, sometimes God sits with you in the pit and when you're ready to come out, then he will walk out with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of what happened that I was like, what am I doing? This is so, what am I doing? Look at all this that you've been through and everything that people have done for you. What are you doing? And then it just kind of, you know, it, it still hurts. Like my face still hurts every day and it still doesn't move. And people still like question, oh, why isn't your eye opening? Or it's mostly little kids. It's super funny. Whenever I go to like to the kid's school, Jackson's mom, why doesn't your eye open when you smile? Why, you know, little kids say the funniest mm-hmm. things. Um, but I'm okay with it now. Like I'm just, I'm okay with it. Cause God was like, look, I gave you plenty of opportunities to seek help. I gave you plenty of opportunities to ask people, you know, to walk alongside you and you thought you could do it by yourself mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it didn't work. And so unfortunately the consequences of that action were as such, but I am still here mm-hmm. and we are going to do this. And that's what it is. So I was like, man, why didn't I pay attention? Why? Mm-hmm. So that's my, that's kind of my thing. Like I just pay attention, mm-hmm. pay attention to what God is doing. Cause it's not so obvious. And then like when my husband tells me you weren't scared because of God, like mm-hmm. pay attention to that, that it's mm-hmm. not you, you mm-hmm. don't have control over that. You don't have the power, mm-hmm. pay attention and don't miss it because mm-hmm. then, you know, you're going it, to, it'll just make it easier to walk through things when you know, when you know or you have faith that God's setting you up for something else. Like right. this might suck for right now, right? but God's just setting the table. Right. So pay attention to that. That's so good. It makes me think of Psalms 23, where it says he uh, prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Sometimes right. our enemies are our choices. Sometimes our enemies are physical things that are happening in our body. Sometimes they're actual people. And sometimes it's just stuff that's happening in the supernatural because we don't fight against people. There's a real spiritual war that is warring against our spirits because the enemy doesn't want us to serve God. But even in that, the Lord sets a table, that peace that you talked about, so that you could receive it. Even though in the moment you're like, I'm not scared. But now you're like, oh, Oh, it's amazing what God, what God does. And I just, I love, I love, I love that your life or this story that you're telling us from your life is talking about the really hard things that happen. And even I made bad choices, but even in my bad choices, God was still with me because I think the lie that the enemy would have us believe is like, okay, you know what? When you make bad choices, he's done with you and he doesn't want you close and that is the furthest thing from the truth. He wants us to run to him. And um, I'm so thankful that the Lord has placed someone in your life, in the per- other people, but in the person of your husband, to continue to speak truth to you and to be Jesus with skin on and to extend grace. And the only way he's able to do that is because he's received grace. We can't do it in our humanness, but there's the supernatural aspect of the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to love people correctly. And that is what your husband has demonstrated for you and for others. And it's just, it's so beautiful of what God has done. And I love what you said about pay attention, attention. And And what that reminds me of is that verse in Romans that says something like, if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, it, it brings death. But mm-hmm. if you set your mind on the things of the spirit, it brings life and peace. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that if you're always running after the flesh and always focused on, I don't, I don't feel good. I don't look good. I need something from the outside world to feel better, to be happy. And you, that's your focus. It will bring death, not physically, boom, you're dead, fall over, keel over, but death to joy, death to purpose, death to intimacy with God, death to certain relationships, death to, you know, inner things. And he says, don't do that. Put your mind on the things of the spirit and you will have life and peace, meaning the joy, the purpose, the fortitude, the resilience, the, the peace that surpasses all comprehension. So when you're saying, pay attention, 
I think you're saying to our listeners, listeners, <laughs> set your mind on the things of the spirit yeah. and your life will change. Yeah. Your life will change. Your circumstances might not change. And Stace, I love that you're saying, look, it still hurts. I still have this physical stuff that I don't like. Your circumstances might not change, yeah, but that good. inner light within you as you're walking through the very same circumstances will change and it makes all the difference. So I love that. Pay attention. Pay attention. Good last words. I love it uh, so much. This is why you guys do what you do. You said it so much better than I did. So no, Good girl. Job. No, girl, you set it up and we're like, okay, okay, okay. We're going to put a slab over here, a slab over here, call it done. Um, there we go i like it but this is listeners you can you can hear in stacy's story stacy's real she's real people um i would you're you're my kind of people like we've talked and we've been around each other but i'm just listening going man i sure do like her i knew i did like you but i was like (laughs) this is why i like her Um, there's something to be said of just like this is this is life. This is what it was. This is when I listened. This is when I didn't listen. You kept it very real. And so listeners, get yourself some friends like Stacy that are going to tell you, they're going to tell you what it's like, but also they're going to point back to Jesus. If, as you're listening to this, there's so many times just like, this is where I know God showed up. And so we want you to share this episode. We want you to, to talk about this episode. We want to hear from you. How has Stacy's story impacted you? Because we believe with all of our hearts, the stories change lives. And we have prayed for you, listener, that what you have heard today will impact your life and speak the words that you needed today, right at this moment. Because as Stacy told us, God is working everything out. And so we are just so honored, Stacy, to have had you. Listeners, we are honored that you would download and listen. And we don't take that for granted. We love you guys so much. Love you all. And Stacy, we love you, hon. Thanks for I love you guys. And uh, doing a hard thing and sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Just Thanks. bring some hope and some courage and some help to other people's stories. We love you. Yeah. Love you. See you in a couple of weeks, listeners. Okay, bye. Bye.